John Piper wrote a book that uh, has become pretty popular. Uh, originally, it was written for collegiates, 20-something-year-old adults trying to navigate their way through college and out of college. What are they going to do with the rest of their life? The uh, title of the book is pretty, uh, pretty catchy. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. You guys seen this book? Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, good book for those coming right out of college, right? Uh, it's become, I think, uh, just as popular, if not more popular, with the uh, retirees. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> with the retirees. What's that? Yeah. Not dead yet. That's right. That's right. I, uh, I gave this book to uh, my parents and I gave it to my in-laws and I had to I had to qualify it. Right. I mean, when you give somebody a book that's called Don't Waste Your Life, you, you really just kind of feel like you have to qualify before I even let them look at the cover. I put it upside down. I said, look, before you even look at this, let me let me say something. here. I don't think you waste your life. I don't think you're going to waste the rest of your life. Uh, I don't think. Uh, but uh, I got this book for you. Don't be offended by the title. I, I've realized some things with this book that uh, just by the title alone, uh, the title alone challenges some people. And at the same time, uh, the title alone. Uh, well, maybe offends many people. There are people who, uh, who are looking for a reason to exist in this world, aren't there? There are. There are people who are searching uh, for some reason to live apart from their nine to five. There are also people who uh, move through life seemingly with no thought to why they're here, aren't there? Have you run into these kind of people? That apparently give little to no consideration to what, what in the world am, am I on this planet for? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What am I doing here in the meantime? I, I've kind of I've thought about it a little bit. And it seems to me there, there are three kinds of people that I've run into. Uh, one is the guy who's completely living for himself. You, you've all met this guy. He's completely living for himself, oblivious to anything that might be bigger than him. Oblivious to anything that might be outside of his own goals, ambitions, and priorities. His life is about him. You've met that guy. Maybe, maybe that's some of your neighbors. Maybe that's somebody in your family. There's another guy, and this is a guy who, who isn't just living completely for himself. He's a guy who, uh, he's kind of got a, a little bit of the wisdom of Solomon in him. He's the guy who has a sense that there, there just must be something more. Right? You meet this guy sometimes. It's the person who doesn't really have the answer, but they, they, they have come to probably somewhere around midlife. You know, sometimes we call it a midlife crisis. They've come to a point where they think, you know what, this has got to be more about, uh, more than just about my, uh, you know, building a family, getting a house with a white picket fence, getting, you know, a sports car, uh, all the stuff I want. And planning for my retirement and my, uh, you know, my 501, C3 or 401, whatever you got there. Uh, it's got to be something. There's got to be more. Uh, you've met that guy. They begin to think about what else could there be. There's, a, there's another guy, though. And um, hopefully this is you. It's the, it's the Christian who's found the answer. It's the Christian who's found the meaning of it all. Namely in, in Christ. But even uh, even that third guy, even that Christian who has found the meaning of it all in Christ, uh, it seems seems to me. They struggle sometimes 
trying to discover what it is that God has for them Monday through Friday. Yeah, can you identify with that? That although we have the answer to it all, we, we have the answer to the big questions. The scripture tells us where we've come from, where we're going. It's that part in the middle that we're still trying to struggle through and figure out, right? We're still trying to work through. What, what now of this life that I have left after I've met Christ, after I've, I've discovered grace for my sin, what part now of this, this rest of my timeline is about me and what is it about him and the American dream? How does that fit in there? We've got these compartments and now we're trying to juggle them and balance them and, and combine them or overlap them or stack them. We're trying to figure it out. So you got the guy who, who really seems to, he could care less about anything more than just uh, making his money in his nine to five, uh, watching a bigger TV than he's already got and uh, retiring somewhere um, warm. That, that seems, seems to be all they care about. And then you got the guy who's realized that that can't be it. I mean, maybe they've, they've chased that dream for a while and they figure, they figured it out that, man, there's got to be something more, but they don't really know what it is. And then you've got the Christian who they know the answer. There is something more. There is someone more. There is a meaning to all this. There is Christ to be glorified. But even that guy, even me, even you, I hope, uh, we still sometimes struggle. And as a leader in the church, I, I found that, that most of us in our Christianity struggle. What do we do now? Now what? From meeting Christ to the time that I'm buried, what does the rest of my life look like? How much is it still of me? How much of it now is for God? How much of it is for, uh, for my family, for my retirement? How do you, how do you fit all that together? Uh, there really... There really is a struggle there for most of us, whether we whether we maybe even recognize it or not. Maybe just me saying that is the first time for you to recognize it today. Listen, let's um, let's make things really simple. That's my goal today. OK, um, we have yet to really get into any exposition of scripture in regard to our current series on our on our purpose for our church. We're going to get there today. I, I really just want to. Make things simple. I think that has some value for us this morning. Uh, this church thing, it really isn't that complicated. Did you know that? This church thing, it really isn't that complicated. The church, when we talk about the church, um, there really are three things uh, to be thought of. It's come to mean when we say the church, three different things. Uh, number one, it's come to mean uh, historically the church universal. And when I say the church universal, I mean the church, those believers who have come to Christ, who have found grace for their sin from all time past through all time future till God calls this thing to an end. All, all, all believers everywhere from all times, the church universal doesn't just include us, it includes believers in other towns and other cities and other churches in other churches in this city. In other churches, in other countries, in other countries, in other years, past and the future. It's the church universal. That's part of what it means when we say the church. All right. Pretty simple. It refers to another thing, though, when we say the church. Right. Not just the church universal. It also means the church local. Right. There is when we talk about the church, there is the idea of the local church. And that's that's not believers everywhere in all times. That's believers right here, right now. 
believers unique to this place, to this town, to this area, believers unique to this time. It's this local body. It's the church. The church universal people, all time, all places. Believers, the church, local people, local right now. Pretty simple, right? There's a third way, though, that um, may not have been thought of historically, but I, I think it's when we say the church, it's come to mean something more. Not just the church universal, not just the church local, but the church local, but not the people. There's another thing that we think of when we think of the church local. It's not the church local, you, the people, the believers here and now. It's the church local, the organization. The organism, perhaps the system, right? The, the business, this mechanism here. That's also the church. So we've got the church universal. We've got the church local. And then we've got the church local. That's not referring to the people uh, specifically, but it's referring to the organization of it, the system, the mechanism. Right. Pretty simple. You follow that? Um, although scripture gives a uh, precedence. You might say to the concept of a local congregation um, or a local organization of believers, a local mechanism of believers. It's very free in regard to how that mechanism plays out. I don't know if you've realized that Uh, scripture is is pretty, pretty fluid on that point, on what this church local organization mechanism ought to look like. Um, in scripture, uh, it speaks to, in regards to this organization, in regard to this mechanism, it speaks to how the leadership ought to be structured. We, we get some, we get some, some press on that in scripture about elders and deacons and, and how that part of the mechanism works, that there ought to be leaders, etc. But even there in, in, in that framework of it, it, it's, it's pretty fluid. There are different ways you can have uh, a body of elders. There are different Ways that those elders can perform. There are different ways that they could act and lead. Uh, Scripture speaks of the relationships within the organization, the relationships within the body, how we relate to each other. Titus specifically talks about this, how older men are to relate to younger men and younger men to older men and older women, etc. How do we all how do we all relate? There's some there's some precedence. There's some guidance in there about how that part of the structure of the local Organization works. There's also some some precedence, uh, I would say, even uh, for how worship is to look. There's some strong indications on on what uh, direction worship need go and what things, what attitudes, uh, what um, what really what heart uh, attitude we are to have in worship. There's some there's some some strong direction in that area. Okay, but beyond that, beyond that, this thing of the church, the the organization, uh, it's, it's pretty free. It's pretty free. I think one of the reasons why is I heard a, another pastor say this in a, in a talk on how elders ought to work. Uh, I think he was right when he said that uh, the Bible is really a handbook for the church universal. It's got to be right. It's got to be not just a handbook for us right here. It's a handbook. It's a guidebook. If you want to think of it that way for a moment for not just the local church right here. Now, these people in this organization, but it's a guidebook that has to span all of 
history from the New Testament until God calls this thing to a close. It's got to cover all that time. And check this out. It's got to cover all those people in all those different areas, in all those different cultures. So imagine trying to write a system, an organizational structure for everyone, everywhere, in all times. I mean, think about that. Think about the difficulty of that. Think about the complexity of that, that the more you try and narrow it down, the more you might be off when it comes to a culture on the other side of the world. And scripture doesn't do that. Scripture in certain areas gives us information and it leaves a lot for us to figure out. It's a missionary book that we take this message and we take we take the structure that it gives us and we have to apply it. In Russia, we have to um, um, uh, apply it in India. We've got to apply it in downtown Atlanta. And we've got to apply it to uh, West Jackson boondocks. Okay? It's got to apply. So I think, that's, I think that's one of the main reasons why Scripture doesn't, it doesn't go so specific when it comes to this organization of the church. And uh, this is really where, as you can imagine, things can become not simple but very complicated. As we try and figure, figure that out locally right here. What's this organization going to look like? Uh, much of the complication comes, I think, from the organization embracing, as I said last week, not only what it must do, but also what it might possibly could potentially do. That, that would be good, in fact, right? It's in all the stuff, the good and the bad stuff, both alike, that the simplicity that I'm talking about this morning can get lost, right? I mean, we tend to overcomplicate things. That happens. So here's the simple truth. The simple purpose of the church organization. Let's talk about the organization level for just a moment. The simple purpose of the church organization is guess what? Guess what? Well, it can fall into three categories. One, to come together in a relationship to God. We do that, right? We come together as a body of believers in relation to the head. Number two, the given leadership structure. And again, that's a very flexible system in and of itself in Scripture. The very leadership structure is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to help the Christian live this thing out Monday through Friday. From the time they meet Christ to the time they die. Does that sound familiar so far? Part one, relationship to God. Part two, relationship to each other, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Number three, uh, we have this corporate responsibility to be light and salt to a dying world. It sounds familiar, right? Uh, listen, neither Christianity, neither Christianity, the living of it Monday through Friday, nor the organization of the church, the mechanism. Neither one is complicated. I mean, if you really boil it down, if you go to Scripture and you really dig for the base, the foundation, the necessity, it's not complicated. We make both complicated, don't we? We make our individual Christianity complicated. We make our church organizational Christianity complicated. Um, What you spend your life, your family's life, and what we spend this church family's life on uh, should be very clear. Uh, Wouldn't you think? It should be very clear to us. The purpose of this church, the purpose of this church 
is really, I think, the answer to what your life should be spent on from here on out. I think it applies individually. I think it applies corporately. I think it holds true universally. The purpose that we've stated for this church can be your purpose. And it it does not need be complicated. It's our relationship to God. Our relationship to God's people. And our relationship to those who have yet to know the grace of God for their sin. Following the Lord, we say it like this. Feeding the sheep and freeing the world. It's that, it's that simple. That's not complicated. What if? Let me ask you a couple of questions. What if? Your life, your individual life, you, not your family. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about you. What if your life was built around those three priorities, those three biblical priorities. I wonder what would what might change, what might have to change. What if what if you built your family's life around those three relationships? Would anything would anything change? I mean, if you if you really focused your life and you really focused your family's life from here to the end on those three elements, those three relationships, what might change? Uh, At the end of your days, here's a question I always like to ask of myself from time to time. At the end of my days, what will qualify my life as a win? Have you ever asked that for your own life? I mean, at, at the at the very end, if you have time, if you have the opportunity to have the moment where you can survey your life past tense before your life here on this earth is over at that very last moment, will it will it qualify as a win in your mind? What qualifies as a win in your mind? I caught a show on uh, the Weather Channel this past week. I know I'm a boring guy. Um, I don't normally just watch the Weather Channel, but uh, they were talking about Hawaii, so I thought I'd stop. And uh, Preston, being from Hawaii and all, I thought, let me, let me check this out. Let's see what's going on. It was a show called uh, It Could Happen Tomorrow. Have you seen this show? You guys seen this? I've never seen it before. But I thought, that's a catchy title. And they were talking about Hawaii. I thought I'd check it out. The, the premise of the show is just what it sounds like. It could happen tomorrow. What could happen tomorrow? Well, in, in this episode, a tsunami could happen tomorrow to the islands of Hawaii. Right. And they start going through the technical weather aspect of all this. It's a pretty technical kind of documentary deal about, you know, if, if there's this quake from one of the uh, from one of the volcanoes on one island, it can it can cause a wave to go towards the other islands and how they're trying to build this uh, alert system with this. Not just a not just a typical siren, but this unique siren so that people know if they're on the beach, you may have 30 minutes to get off the beach for the wave comes from one island to the other island and it just wipes everything out. And basically, if you hear this siren, just start running. okay, as far away from the water as you can. All right. And the the title of the show was the premise. It it could happen tomorrow. I mean, they never know. They never know it. I saw the episode just after that. It was about 
uh, the Gulf Coast region. And they were talking about, uh, you know, the ideal hurricane. That if it hit that area, if it went into the Tampa Bay area, how the Tampa Bay would serve as like this funnel and just wipe basically the southern half of Florida off. Uh, it could happen tomorrow. It could happen tomorrow. Um, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? That's an interesting premise for a show. Now, I don't know that many people are moving out of Hawaii today after after watching that show. We just kind of, as humans, don't we? We just kind of live with that. Yeah, that's good. What's for dinner? It doesn't, it, it doesn't sink in, does it? So I wonder, like, when I ask questions like, at the end of your days, what will qualify your life as a win? If you think about it here, but then you leave here, and you know, yeah, uh, that's a good message. What's, what's for lunch? I don't know that those kind of questions really sink in. I mean, they definitely don't sink into the guy who's just seemingly go about his life with no consideration of what the bigger picture is for life. Where he's come from, where he's going, what is this thing in the middle supposed to look like? What do I do in the meantime? For the Christian, the title of uh, John Piper's book that I mentioned earlier, Don't Waste Your Life, it ought to be just, just by the title alone, just if you walk by the book and just see the title alone, it ought to be a challenge and an encouragement not an offense. So let me ask you a couple more questions. Is it possible for your life to be a win in the wrong things? What do you think about that? I mean, it, it's one thing to think back as I, as I evaluate my life at the end. You know, will my life qualify as a win, a success? Will it have been worth the time I put into it? To think about it another way, is it possible that, that I have some wins, but in the completely wrong, unnecessary areas? That's a pretty big fear of mine. I don't, I don't know about you. That I've been extremely successful in all the wrong areas. Now, that's something to think about daily, isn't it? That's something to think about your individual life. It's something to think about with your family. Man, I think about it with my kids all the time. Am I being successful in all the wrong areas when it comes to raising my two boys who uh, I look at and my wife and I think, we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> we have no idea. I, I wonder sometimes. I, I may not put it in these words, but I, I wonder sometimes. Am I, am I being successful in some areas that really... In 20 years, when I look at this child and I've lost the years that I have now, will they, will they have been the wrong things that I was successful in? Let me take it to another level. Is it possible for a church to win in the wrong things? And the answer's got to be yes. Is it possible for the church to have some wins in unnecessary areas? To win at some things that might be of temporal use, but eternally, they really add up to very little. I think so. I think so. Um, historically, in, in churches, we say it this way. That wins in the wrong areas, uh, they look like this. They're not the follow, feed, free. They're not three F's. They're the three B's. Anybody know the three B's? Buildings. 
What's a win historically in the church? What's a win historically in, in, in the church as you think about success in the organization level of the church? Right? Because some of you have grown up in churches here in the southeast. Some of you have grown up in churches and you have this connotation of what a win is in the church. Historically, it's buildings uh, that, you know, maybe in a year we can build this, this uh, great gymnasium next door here. I mean, we've got this 15 acres where we can do it. Maybe we could build a gym over here and we could do some awesome things over there. Maybe we can build like, I don't know, a full family life center. It's buildings. Very easy, very easy to be attracted to that as a win. And let me say this could be a very positive, good thing. I, I, I just I'd love to have a gym over here. I used to be a rec minister. I know we could do some awesome things in regards to following the Lord, feeding the sheep and freeing the world uh, with the gym. I know we could use it. But there are some ways where we automatically think a new building means a win. And that if we don't have, if our church doesn't have some plan uh, after, you know, X number of years, if we've not moved on to a bigger building or if we've not uh, started a plan to build a different building, etc., then somehow that's a loss. And all I'm saying is that's not necessarily true. Uh, buildings, budgets, this is a good one, this is a big one. Success is a bigger budget. Now, let me just tell you. I'm all for a bigger budget. Right? Okay? All for it. Be great. Because I think we've got the leadership who could use it wisely in those three priority areas. Uh, there are some things that, man, I wish we could do around here. There are some things that, uh, that, that need to happen here. Preston, go like this. Go ahead. Um, I wish we had a bigger budget so that we could pay guys who need to get paid more. I'll just be real, real honest. Um, I'll embarrass Preston here that it's, you know, it's October. It's clergy appreciation month. Uh, I don't know exactly who created that, et cetera. I kind of like it. Uh, clergy. Yeah, some pastor came up with clergy appreciation month. You know that's the right. Um, but as my form of appreciation, I just want to say this in relation to budgets, okay? Uh, this guy... And I can say this because I have, we have no fear that, that he would chase this. Okay? That's why he's here. This guy could go uh, to any state in this country and get a job doing what he's doing here for at least twice as much as we pay him. By the, by the end of the year. Guaranteed. That's not an exaggeration. That's just a fact. It's just a fact. What he does, the ability that he has, paired with the heart he has for what he does could very easily go to a bigger church and get a job making twice as much, if not three times as much, okay? I would love a bigger budget. We could do some great things with that. That's not necessarily a win when it comes to the organization of the church. Buildings, budgets, third one, bodies. I won't use the B words. Uh, bottoms. Uh, bodies. That's the, that's the third one. You know what a win is in, in most churches? More bodies, more warm bodies. Most of the time, and it backs itself up, more warm bodies so we can have bigger budgets, so we can build more buildings. And that's if we're real honest, okay? And let me be honest right here. Uh, I, I pray that every seat in this place gets full. I pray we have to build a bigger building so that we can 
teach more people and we can lead more people in their relationship to God, in their relationship to other believers, that they would become men and women who are light and salt in this world. But just buildings, just budgets, just bodies are not wins in and of themselves necessarily. You know that, right? And here's the here's the difficult part. As I said earlier, for those of us who grew up in the southeast in those churches, that whether it was spoken or not, uh, there was this assumption that those things were success. Irregardless of if the necessities ever happened. And sometimes here's a here's a great fear of mine as a church leader. Sometimes. Sometimes you get the others at the sacrifice of the necessities. You get the others. You get the buildings, the budgets, the bodies. At the sacrifice of following the Lord, feeding sheep and freeing the world. Proverbs. Adam, put that up. I read this to you as we started. Uh, This is the message version of the passage. I, I like how it's. I like how they put it. Proverbs 29, 18 is sort of the theme of this uh, series. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. So what if we don't know what to do with the rest of our life? I mean, what if we don't know what to do from rebirth to our end of days on this earth? Aren't we in aren't we in danger of wasting our life? Aren't we in danger of of misinterpreting what wins are, what losses are, what success is, what success is not, what priorities should be priorities, what priorities should be disregarded or even just lowered on the list? Jesus directions for this life were simple, weren't they? Come, leave all you have. Take up your cross and follow me. Follow me. Be in relationship with God. Do you love me? He asked Peter. Feed my sheep. Out of our love for God, there is this there is this joy we have to be in relationship with other believers. Go to the ends of the earth. The very end from where you are to the very end, proclaiming. Freedom to those who are bound still yet in their sin. Salt, light. What would the church look like if we focused our lives individually and our families' lives? What would that look like? How would that impact the church if, if, from, the, if from the individual to the church family to the organizational level we... We simplified life and we focused life on our relationship to God. How are we doing? Our relationship to fellow believers. How are we really doing there? In our joy, the the joy that Paul spoke of being complete in as we extend grace to those who are yet to understand it. I think a lot would change. And I think there'd be a lot of wins 
a lot of wins. Let's pray.